great to see you all this morning. Uh, so good to see you. We are in the middle of a series called Commit, and we uh, are continuing our journey through the Gospel of Luke. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, uh, you can get your Bibles out. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10 today, Luke chapter 10. We've been journeying through uh, the Gospel of Luke, and we are in the middle of a series called Commit. And we've been asking the question, what would it look like if our hearts were truly, totally committed and surrendered to the Lord Jesus? What would that look like? I think it was, uh, Glenn, you might could correct me if I'm wrong, Hudson Taylor who said the world is yet to see uh, the effects of a man who is completely, totally sold out to the Lord Jesus. And he said, I will be that man. And God blessed Hudson Taylor's ministry radically. And uh, I just wonder sometimes, and I think that's the question that we're asking here in this series, are you totally, totally committed to the Lord Jesus? In every part of your heart, I'm not talking about the to-do list stuff. I'm talking about in your heart of hearts. Are you completely owned by Jesus? Is He your all in all? Your life will follow your heart. Your actions will demonstrate what's going on inside. But what I'm saying is, are you completely committed to Jesus? So we're asking the question, what would it look like? What does that look like? Right? Last week we saw, we looked at the passage in Luke chapter 9, especially verse 23. It says, if anybody wants to come and follow after me, he must, remember, what is it? Deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. It means coming to the end of ourself and allowing all of us to be all of his. Allowing his presence to totally inhabit our heart and for that to spill over in our life. And what we're going to be looking at today in Luke chapter 10 is just another reflection of our commitment to the Lord Jesus because as He is, so we will be. If we are truly committed to Him, we should be seeing His life come out through us, right? So we're going to be looking today at Luke chapter 10. I need to get there myself. And honestly, um, we're going to be looking at a, a passage of Scripture that is perhaps one of the most well-known passages of Scripture in all of the Bible. Do you know what that is? Some of you looked at the teaching schedule before today, and I commend you for that. What are we talking about today? The Good Samaritan. Exactly. We're going to be starting in verse 25. The parable of the Good Samaritan. Who's heard of the parable of the Good Samaritan before? All right, raise your hand higher. All right, look at your neighbor. I want you to tell your neighbor when the first time you heard that parable was, okay? All right, what did your neighbor say? Childhood, right? Most of us learn it as a child. I'm telling you, um, we, we know this story, and even people who aren't in church know this story. I did a Google search yesterday to, just to prove this. I typed in the Good Samaritan, right? And I think we've got a, a slide of this. Yeah, here's the Google search that I got. It's really funny. Um, Wikipedia, top hit, way to go, right? 
All things spiritual, Wikipedia provides it. Um, but they are covering it here. We've got the Good Samaritan Society. It's a society for do-gooders. We have the Bible Gateway, which is, which is great. It actually takes you to the parable. We have MedStar Good Samaritan Hospital in Baltimore. And actually, there are a ton of hospitals named after Good Samaritan. I was shocked yesterday. I was searching through this. Then we have news coming up here for Good Samaritan. It's talking about a lady who became a Good Samaritan for this child who was being attacked by a dog. And so Good Samaritan, right? Everybody knows this. It's become synonymous for what? People who do good, right? People who are just the hero. Everybody tracking? You're familiar with the story. I'm familiar with the story. Most everybody you talk to is familiar with the story. You've got things like Samaritan's Purse. Y'all heard of that? Um, It's all over the place. I'm saying that to say we're at a little bit of a risk as we approach passages like this in the Bible. You're at a little bit of a risk, and I am too. Because what you can easily do is get to passages like this, and one of two things happens. Either you skip it because you think, I heard that story as a child, right? I know that story. Or even as you read it, you can insert into the text everything that you think you know about the text from what everybody else tells you. Y'all ever struggle with that as you're reading the Bible? So you've got to be really sensitive as you get the texts like this that are very familiar to really listen to the text and see what is actually going on and allow God to really speak His truth out of the text into your heart and not your understanding into the text into God. Does that make sense? So that's the danger we're in this morning. So I do want to take time to pray And uh, then we're going to get started into this text. Lord, we come to you this morning with hungry hearts, Lord, to hear from you. God, we need to know who you are. And Lord, if we know who you are, Lord, we need to give ourselves completely to you, to commit our whole heart and our whole life to you and to knowing you, Lord, and to allowing your presence to be worked out into our life. So God, we ask for revelation this morning. God, I just pray that in every single heart here, Lord, that there would be readiness to hear and eagerness to hear, Lord, and that your Holy Spirit would be taking your truth and working it deep into our hearts, Lord, so that we might evidence you and the gospel of Jesus in our daily life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, excuse me, with all your strength, with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And and who is my neighbor? I want to stop right there because it's vital that we understand the context of the parable of the Good Samaritan. How many of you guys in your childhood heard that context? No one. Very interesting. It's very important that you understand why God is communicating to us this story. 
So what's the context here? You've got a, a guy who the Bible says is a lawyer. Now, some of you may be lawyers in this room, and I don't want to be offensive, but lawyers are known as those who like to ask questions and kind of stir things up a bit, right? Put people on the spot. You ever watched any of these crazy court shows on TV? They're really good at like just asking just the right thing to make somebody squirm and just kind of put them in an awkward position to make them look foolish. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? We've got a guy coming up to Jesus. He's a lawyer. And it says in the gospel, it's, it's not supposing anything into the text. It says it outright. This guy's coming to Jesus. Why? Look at verse 25. What's it say? To put him what? To the test. So he's asking Jesus a question. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? But in his question, it's not really a genuine question in the sense that he's really eager to know what Jesus says about eternal life. He's asking Jesus this question to put Jesus to the test. He wants to kind of put Jesus on defense and make him maybe squirm a little bit because Jesus has taught many things about what it is to have eternal life, right? How is he going to pin it down? How is he going to say the one thing that's necessary? And maybe he's going to contradict some Old Testament laws or something. What did Jesus say? He sees the deceit right up front. And so what's he do? He turns around and asks a question back. And what's he ask? Well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And then the lawyer replies. And what's he say? You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now this puts the lawyer in a bit of a predicament. Jesus turns around and he, in verse 28 he says to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. What's the predicament that the lawyer's in? His sin has been exposed, right? It's clear that he knew the answer to the question before he asked it. So here he is in a group, and suddenly his deceit is out on the table. His sin has been exposed. He was coming at Jesus, trying to pin him in the corner, and he answered the question that he asked. He shouldn't have asked it to start with. He knew. Everybody, everybody see that? Now, let me tell you, when your sin is exposed, and with this guy's sin is exposed, you've typically got two options. One is repentance and belief, right? The other is continued self-justification. This happens, uh, how many, you've got some of you guys in relationships, in your friendships, or in marriages, somebody, you're, you're, you offend your wife, let's say I offend Michelle, I've never done that. Never. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, but let's say I offend Michelle. When she comes to me and I realize that I'm wrong, I've got two options. I either say, baby, I'm sorry. Two of the hardest words in the English language. I'm sorry, right? Admit that I'm wrong, repent, and reconcile with Michelle. Or I can continue down the trail of, well, baby, I know you think that I did that, but what I really was saying was this, and what I really meant was this, and this, you didn't understand this correctly, Y'all ever been there? No, you've never been there. And you continue in this 
the, the sin just grows because now you're not admitting the sin. You're just trying to justify the fact that you have sinned. And it just grows and grows and grows. And it's exactly what happens to this guy. And so in verse 29, Jesus says, you've answered correctly. His sin is exposed. In verse 29, what does he do? So the guy comes back and says, he says, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? To continue down the path of agitation. And essentially the question is this. Okay, um, well, yeah, I understood, I, I understood that all along, you know, that the fact that we are supposed to, to love, our, love the Lord with all of our heart, our, our mind, our soul, our strength, and, and that we should love our neighbor as ourself. But what I was really meaning was, uh, who is my neighbor? Now, the question is basically saying, so, so Jesus, can you please tell me the people that I need to be loving? Because you said that I need to love my neighbor as myself. So, so I just, it would be really nice if you could just define neighbor. Does it mean like the guy next door or the people like in my, my friend group? Or does that mean like my fellow Jewish people? I mean, could you just help me know who that I'm supposed to love and who that I don't have to love? Because I know you're probably not talking about those Roman oppressors that we're under right now and, and those crazy half-breed Samaritans that have been disobedient to the law. I'm talking as the lawyer now, right? And he's trying to say, if you just could clarify this a little bit more, because neighbor's kind of vague, help me to understand um, who exactly we're talking about here, because it can't be everybody. All right? You're tracking. Everybody understand the context. Now, you may have been in a place before where you've asked similar questions of Scripture, where you go to Scripture and you see a command and you go, oh, no, 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 I know it doesn't say that. You know, when it says, take up his cross daily and follow me, that can't mean that I actually die to myself, right? When it says, go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor, that, that can't actually mean that that's what he meant. And we begin to allegorize, we begin to make all the, you know, just make it say whatever we want. That's exactly what this guy's trying to do. Surely it can't mean just neighbor. Help me understand this. And so, voila, now we have our context and we're ready for the story. Aren't you excited? You never learned that in kids' Sunday school. Anyway, we're moving on. I think I'm funnier than I really am. <laughs> so, I don't know. Just bear with me. Jesus is going to have nothing to do with his question. And y'all, I want you to track with me to the very end because it is fascinating what happens in the story and the truth that Jesus is trying to reveal. Jesus... After the guy asks the question, so who is my neighbor? Says this. Let's pick it up in verse 30. Jesus replied, A man was going down to Jer- from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down by the road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, 
he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So what's happening here in the story? It's a real story, all right? Now, we say this is a parable, but for all we know, this could have actually happened. Jerusalem and Jericho are real places. Let me show you this. I think there's a map here. Yes. All right, so Jerusalem is here. Here's Jericho, all right? Everybody see this? Very real places. Jerusalem sits at like 2,300 feet above sea level. Jericho sits at like 1,300 feet below sea level. You've got a distance of like 20 kilometers or so. I mean, this you're going 3,600 feet down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And the road is like crazy windy. Y'all ever been through mountain roads where it's like making really sharp altitude? What ends up happening? Windy all the way down, right? The road today looks something like this. I'm just telling you this because I want you to see this is a real story. You see this little path? See all this mountain? The road from Jerusalem to Jericho is a windy, crooked little path. And in Jesus' day, it was notorious for crime. Notorious. It was called the Red Way or the Bloody Way, right? Which meant everyone knew that you travel down that path of road and there's a very high likelihood that you're going to get hurt because criminals and bad guys hung out all over the place. People traveled in caravans down this road because that's really the only safe way to do it or else you're susceptible to attack. You know places like this in Memphis, y'all? The streets that you intentionally don't turn down because if you know if you turn down that street, you might get hurt. Or the sidewalks you don't walk down late at night. Y'all know what I'm talking about? That's the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And here we go. Got a guy traveling down the road. You can go back to the text now. And we have a guy who falls among robbers. Now, apparently, this is a pretty foolish guy because he's alone. You don't travel this road alone. He's traveling the road alone. He's not the smartest guy. He's not acting very wisely. And honestly, it could be that this guy is where he is because of his own foolishness and his own lack of wisdom and discernment. It could be that it's his own fault that he got in the predicament that he's in. But here he is. He's been attacked by thieves. He's been attacked by robbers. He's been beaten up and left half dead in the street. We read stories about this all the time in Memphis News. This happens to people where they get mugged, they get robbed, they get beaten up, and they get left right on the street. Imagine, and this is a real story, okay? So you've got a guy on the side of this little windy road. It's not a big road. It ain't I-240. It's a little bitty road. And he's left half dead. And then you have, lo and behold, a priest come by. Here comes Barrett, right? The pastor walking down the road. And he comes by, and guess who he sees? The beaten up, half dead, robbed guy. 
laying in the middle of the road. And though he sees him, he moves to the other side of the road and continues his way on. Now, we can make all kinds of excuses for the priest. Oh, he must have been so caught up in all of his religious duties, all of his spiritual things, that he probably didn't have time for this guy. Or perhaps it was because of the the tradition that you couldn't touch somebody within 24 hours of serving as the priest. So he didn't want to dirty himself with things of the world so that he could do the things of God. Or perhaps he was trying to get home because it had been a long week at the temple and he was trying to get home and he was just in a hurry. But regardless of what happened, he saw the guy, moved to the other side, and he kept on going. Maybe he thought, there's somebody right behind me. They'll surely stop. I don't have time for this today. There's so many people in this area. Somebody will take care of him. Not for me. And he moved on. Second guy comes along the road. Who is it this time? The Levite. It's Robbie, the worship leader. <laughs> Seriously. Levites, they were the ones in charge of keeping worship, leading worship, leading the people of God and the ceremonies of God, right? It's Robbie. Oh, good Robbie. Come on, man. So here he comes down the same stretch of road, and the guy is still half dead, beaten up, robbed, bruised, hurting, there on the side of the road, plain as day. And here comes the next guy who the priest thought would be the guy to help him, and what's he do? Season. But then what? Moves to the other side. Continues on his way. Maybe it was safety he was concerned about. If he stopped, maybe the robbers, maybe this is a coy, man. Put a, put a guy out there and he, he's going to, you know, if I help him, it'll end up hurting me. He's going he's gonna to con me, man. And this could be unsafe for me. Maybe, maybe that was it. Maybe it was the time thing again. Maybe it was the fact that he just didn't want or care to involve himself in somebody else's issues because he had way too many of his own. But the reality is, he passed by. And then, lo and behold, who shows up? Verse 33, But a Samaritan... As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went up to him, and he bound his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. The Samaritan, the half-breed, the one who the Jews absolutely despised because they had rejected parts of the law. The hated enemy sees his enemy hurting, helpless, needy. And what's he do? There's four parts to the love and mercy that he shows him. First, he sees him. I mean, there's a difference in seeing and, and seeing. Now, I don't even know how I can... 
That didn't make much sense, did it? You can get so busy in your days that you can run across need all around you and see people in need but not really see them. It scares me to death that I can get so accustomed to seeing need all around me that I don't actually see it anymore. I don't see it as need. Because I'm so wrapped up in the bubble of Barrett Bowden and his itinerary for the day and his desires and his whatever that suddenly everything outside of that bubble just becomes abstract. It's just muted. It's just a blur. You know what I'm talking about? You can see people without seeing them. But not so for those who have a loving, compassionate, merciful heart filled by the Holy Spirit of God. When they see people, they see them for who they are and what they need. You know the people that look at you and they look at you, you know they're looking at you? You know what I'm talking about? You can be in conversations with people and there's sometimes that you can be looking at somebody and you know they're not looking at you. They're looking at you, but they're not looking at you. They're listening, but they're not listening. The Samaritan exemplifies the one who sees and really sees, who listens and really listens, who looks him in the eye and really cares. He sees him. Secondly, there's an internal response of compassion. Look at this. It says, A Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. He saw him and what? Had compassion. Before there's action, there's an internal response of compassion. His heart breaks. There's empathy. There's deep care and concern. He doesn't just see him, but he sees him, and immediately there's compassion. And let me just tell you, for those who are truly walking with the Lord and abiding in the love of God, when you see people in need, there ain't no possibility of anything other than to have compassion. That's the Holy Spirit's work in your life. You can't make yourself compassionate. God makes you compassionate. You need a heart that is compassionate. And you can't give yourself compassion. You've got to ask God to make you the kind of person that day in and day out, When you see need, the Holy Spirit is bringing compassion to your heart. Your immediate reaction is not selfishness, but is compassion. Y'all tracking? That's not something that I can give you, you can give yourself. That's something that God has to give you. The internal response is compassion. But then third, there's an external response and it's practical help. Right? Not only does this guy have compassion, it's not like he meets the guy on the street like sometimes you walking down here and you meet somebody you see him you have compassion and then just walk away no this guy didn't just walk away he what he did something and it was he did something to great cost to himself he's pouring oil all over him and binding him up and taking him to a hotel and he's putting down what is equivalent of two days wages think about like three hundred dollars in equivalence today It's dirty. It's messy. He gets involved in this guy's need. He's not just like, oh, go over there and do something. He's like inviting him in. The way that he responds is not to push him away with try to get resources somebody else, but he's saying, look, come, and I will be your resource. He's taking his own need, that guy's needs on as his own. He's putting that guy's skin around himself and saying, 
What would I want in this moment? It's not just talk. You see, the guy came, the lawyer came to Jesus with a philosophical question. Jesus responds with a practical story. Sometimes we can sit around and talk about, oh, we need to be loving, and oh, we need to be compassionate, and oh, we need to be merciful, but you've never helped anybody find a job. You've never fed somebody. You've never, you know what I'm saying? Our faith is not philosophical. It's practical. It always finds practical ways to do the things that we believe. He sees him. He has an internal response of compassion. He has an external response of practical help. And fourth, it's exhibited even to his enemy. I mean, you think about this. This is mercy. It's not dependent on the other person. It's dependent on you. It's mercy. It's love going out for all, even enemies. Y'all see this? This is radical. Go back to the story. Now, this is where climax. This is where it gets. I'm telling you, in preparing for this, I had never seen this before until now. the end of the story, Jesus, in verse 36, asks this question. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The guy asks the question of Jesus, who is my Neighbor. But Jesus is asking a very different question. His story didn't answer the guy's question. In fact, the story itself was not focused on the guy who's really sitting by the side of the road, hurt, beaten up, robbed, and half dead. The focus of the story is actually on the three passerbys. And Jesus, at the end of the story, comes back with this question. He doesn't say, well, was the guy that was hurt a neighbor? No. What does he say? Which of the three proved to be the guy's neighbor? The question, if you'll go to the next slide. The question to ask is not, who is my neighbor? But the question to ask is, who am I? Go to the next slide. The big question exposed is this, to whom can I be a neighbor? And the big need that's exposed is a new and compassionate heart. Jesus doesn't want to have anything to do with trying to answer your question, well, who am I supposed to love? Who am I supposed to treat with mercy? Who am I supposed to treat with compassion? Jesus doesn't see people in categories, those who are worthy of love and those who are not, those who are actually worthy of help and those who are not. And he says, I'm not going to answer that question to you. What I'm asking you is, are you a neighbor? Do you all see what I'm saying? He says, are you a neighbor? Are you the kind of person 
who no matter what need is presented to you, no matter what racial background, what cultural background, what mess and garbage they might bring, whether it's their own fault or not, whether it costs you something or not, whether it's messy or not, when you see need, the question for you is, are you the neighbor? Who are you? That's, a, that's, that's the question that Jesus asked to this lawyer. Who are you? Your role is not to discern who your neighbor is. Your role is to be the neighbor that you need to be, that I've called you to be, and that I want to equip you to be to anyone, no matter what the circumstance. And it exposes the deeper need that goes on in you and in me. When we find ourselves in places where we're not acting in love and we're not acting in compassion, the issue is not the circumstance. The issue is your heart. And it's my heart. It's that we're not walking in step with the Lord because the Lord says He is good to the just and to the unjust. He makes His rain fall on all of the earth. And in Luke chapter 6, He says, Be merciful as I am merciful. Praise God that at one time you were an enemy You were half beaten. You were half dead. You were pretty much could have been left for nothing on the side of the road. And I'm speaking metaphorically. Spiritually, you were lost and ruined. Praise God that He loved you enough that even though you had made yourself an enemy of Him, He did whatever it took at great cost to Himself, dying on the cross so that you might have what you need to have life again. You might have what you need to receive forgiveness and hope and restoration. This is the love of God. God doesn't see colors. He doesn't see circumstance. He doesn't, no, no, no. God sees people. People are people. And His love, He has unconditional love for all. We read this morning in Psalm 136, Great is the Lord. His steadfast love endures forever. Amen? It's unconditional. What He wants this guy to see is No, don't pick and choose who you're trying to love and not love. The kind of love that I want to bring into your heart by making your heart new and making your spirit alive through my spirit is the kind of love that makes you a neighbor to all regardless of who they are. Isn't that awesome? But it requires a new heart. This is not the kind of love that people who don't know the Jesus can ever experience because the only love that the world can experience is that of loving those who love you and doing good to those who do you, do good to you. But the kind of love that the Holy Spirit brings into our hearts is that of love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. You do good to those who hate you. To the one who asks from you, give to him and then give more. You can't do that yourself. This requires a new heart. And so at the end of the story, the lawyer sees what Jesus is saying. In verse 37, he said, The one who showed mercy, he's the neighbor. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. This is what he says to you today.